0: Did you know I wrote a book? My book, Diabetes Sucks, You Can Handle It, is your guide to managing the emotional challenges of type one diabetes. And I wanna offer you the book for free. You can download the book by going to www.thediabetespsychologist.com forward slash book. That's www.thediabetespsychologist.com forward slash book. You'll join thousands of other people who have read this book and taken the skills and tools they've learned from this book and applied them to their lives with type 1 diabetes. You can download the book now and start implementing the tools today. That's www.thediabetespsychologist.com forward slash book. Welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman and I invite you to join us as we talk candidly about the emotional challenges of living with type 1 diabetes. We'll give you actionable strategies to help you face these challenges head-on, reduce your stress, and most importantly, live a full life without letting diabetes get in the way. Hey there, welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark If you know me, you know that I really believe that you can do anything you want, even with type 1 diabetes along for the ride. And my guest on the podcast today is a prime example of that. My guest today is Brandon Green. Brandon is a former NFL football player. He played tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars, the St. Louis Rams, and the Seattle Seahawks from 2004 until 2007. On this episode, Brandon talks about what it was like to manage diabetes while playing professional football, and he gives some great advice that we all can use to help us manage our diabetes more consistently so we can all play at a high level. Here's my conversation with Brandon. Brandon, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to talk to you and
1: hear your story of
0: being in the NFL with type 1 diabetes.
1: Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Um I always love to share and hope people can be encouraged and hopefully learn a little bit from the things that I went through and kind of my experience and, and grow from that. Um, yeah. So thanks for having me.
0: So you were diagnosed at 10. Tell I us, about was. It. tell us about your experience being diagnosed with type of diabetes at 10 years old.
1: Well, as most people, it was no fun. Um, <laughs> I was, uh, I had this incredible thirst and incredible hunger that had gone on for a while and my family couldn't really couldn't figure it out. I would go through, uh, times where I I was a very active kid and would go outside and play and then come in and just take an hour and a half nap, which was not common to me at all. And um, so I knew there was something going on and I was losing weight, pretty, uh, pretty ex- excessive weight. And so I lost, I think, 20 or 25 pounds uh, by the end of it, which I was always a little bit on the th- thicker side, uh, or at least a, you would think a bigger kid. I wasn't skinny by any means to begin with. And so Um, We started really noticing those changes. And then the big one was I peed in the bed. And that was just kind of a funny story with that. I, uh, my brother, we shared a room, we had bunk beds, I was in the top bunk. And uh, he happened to have a friend over at the time. And so I was 10 years old. So that's old enough to be a little embarrassed when you pee in the bed. And uh, and so I, I peed in the bed and obviously he has a friend over and I'm like, oh, man, that's embarrassing. My brother's two years older than me. But I remember going into the kitchen and my mom was already awake and I went in there and said, mom, I peed in the bed. Something's not right like something's wrong. Um, and now the funny story is, uh, she had me, she sent me in to clean my, clean my bed and I was scrubbing down my mattress and I was telling my brother's friend, I was like, you never scrub your mattress. What are you? That's gross. Like those things get dirty. You know, I was trying to play it off. Like that's a normal occurrence in our family, but that was kind of my diagnosis to that. I can't remember if it was that day or the next day, but April Fool's Day is when I was officially diagnosed with um, with diabetes when I was 10 years old. Ironically, my brother got it four years later. So he got it when he was 16. Uh, we were the first people in our family to ever have it. I didn't I didn't know. I mean, you could have said diabetes or cancer and it would have been about the same to me. I didn't understand either of them at, the, at that age. And so it was so it was tough. But we went to a clinic and actually stayed there for about two weeks and um, uh, there, I know it's usually a quicker turnaround now. I don't know if that was normal or what, but um, but went to the to hospital to that. And that kind of kicked off my, let's say, journey in education for, for me. And then I'll just speak real quick on my family and my brother's behalf. His diagnosis was very different. He was actually driving me and him were in a car and he's like, man, I've had to use the bathroom a lot lately. And I was like, oh, that's not good. And we took his blood sugar, and he was like in the upper 200s. I was like, what a lightweight, you know, that's, that's, that's nothing. Um, but we knew, we knew it like a 260 or something. We're like, oh, yeah, it's happening. And so, um, and so his was very different in this. We kind of knew what was happening and what he was getting into. So it was just almost more disappointed at the, at the future as opposed to just, complete nervousness just kind of more so it was interesting i tell people it's a very different experience but i've definitely experienced both having it and then being the sibling of someone who has it and we have a a sister who doesn't have it and we always tell her she's the weird one so that's (laughs) were you playing football at 10 uh no we played i played like a little bit of you know flag city flag football i think one year or something but we basically played everything um growing up football if they had it but that that wasn't as organized played a little league and like city basketball that sort of stuff um at that time they didn't have really like the club sports world or these travel teams and things like that so it was pretty much just cities uh in a little town called port lavaca texas and that's that's where we did that and then um As I got a little bit older, really in junior high is when you started playing stuff other than like football with, you know, kids that I lived nearby and things like that. What was it like playing football in high school and in college with diabetes? You you know, it was was very different as far as managing it. I mean, I, I definitely learned things which carried over. I was went to a small town school. And so it was kind of half football, half cross country. Uh, you know, guys would play both ways on offense and defense. I think my senior year we had nine guys that played both ways. So we were very small school and that was a lot for us, but we just, I guess, weren't very deep. Um, and so there was a lot of running and it was more of a, um, aerobic exercise as much as it was in, in anaerobic, just, you know, short burst and then, and then waiting around. So, uh, so it was managed a little bit differently, but some of the foundational principles we learned were the same, but uh, you know, it was challenging. I, I I love to tell the first story of whenever in junior high, junior high is one of the hardest times just because, and I always tell people it's your first experience in organized athletics. Usually there's, you know, a thousand kids and just a few coaches. There's not as many coaches. There's more kids. No one knows what they're doing. No one's gone through it before. And, you know, just, you're in junior high. So you're weird, you know, and you do weird things. You don't think you're not responsible. Well, I mean, you know, you're learning to be responsible. That's part of why you do things like sports and things at junior high. Um, And so that was a challenging time, but I remember I went to the first, uh, my first game in, uh, in junior high and I I took two Gatorades with me and they didn't last through the first quarter. And so I always tell people my, my story is my dad was at the game and at halftime, you, we actually just went and sat down in one of the end zones and the coaches are talking and we're trying to recover. And I just i kept getting low and couldn't stop from, from being low. And, um, and I see my dad bringing something from the concession stand because I had already ran out of my Gatorades. And thank goodness he was there and they had something. And he had a chili dog and a Coke. In the middle of a game. And I thought, oh, this is going to be horrible. And I still remember thinking at the time, I was like, well, dad, why didn't you tell him to hold off on the chili? Like, why did we have to get the chili as well? Um, but yeah, I don't know, maybe they didn't have it or it's probably had so much going through his mind. But I was spent my first football game at halftime you know, chugging a Coke and, uh, eating a, a chili dog, which was miserable. And so my, my thought is, Hey, if I can keep people from having to go through that experience in their athletic career or whatever they're doing, then I have, I have one. So if you could bypass that one and just learn from that and move on and come better prepared, that would be good. But that was my, uh, my first experience, but just in general, to answer your question, it was, it was challenging, you know, it was challenging and it was challenging to, um, to play sports. Uh, it's, it's achievable, but it's, it's, it was challenging. And I think the higher up in my experience, the higher up in level you went, the competition and the intensity of it increases. And, uh, I think, I guess maybe you could say the importance of it. I mean, when you go to the professional level, it's your job. And so, you know, if you can't do your job, they're going to find someone else to do your job. And that's, it's a little bit different environment, you know, in the NFL, but that's, that's the general idea of it. They may love you and, and wish you didn't have diabetes, but someone's got to, you know, hold down the sea gaffer. You know? So if you can't do it, they're just gonna bring someone else in. And so it, be, it, it heightens the level of importance of it. And so, um, so it's challenging to not make mistakes as you, uh, increase that level, but I, I got pretty good at it. So.
0: At what point in your high school college career, did you know that you had the ability to go to the NFL? Uh,
1: I did not know in high school, that's for sure. Um, I was about 6'3", 225 pounds, which is not small, but um, I was pretty fast, and so I thought that that I would have a chance to play somewhere, um, And uh, but it's still not, you know, it's, it's not an amazing, you know, physical specimen when you, uh, you know, and you just look at the numbers, and so I, I thought I could play in college, and then after my, my senior year, I thought that or after my junior year, I thought, okay, this is probably realistic and I'd like to, you know, try to get my school covered or, you know, stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> so I did that. And then I would say after my junior year of college is when I started or during my junior year, maybe. Um, and I, I broke a couple of records at Rice and was pretty effective at rushing the passer. And so, um, so I thought, well, you know, this could, this could translate to the next level I, I would hope. And so I started seeing that, Oh, this is a real possibility. And so I'd say that junior year season is when, um, when I realized like, Oh, this, this could continue. And, you know, I might be able to do a dream of mine. So. Was
0: there ever a time in your life when diabetes in your mind got in the way and said, I want to go to the next level, but diabetes is not going to stop me.
1: Yeah. Uh- yeah, it would not so much in the um and I gotta thank my parents so much for this too. They always encouraged me to 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 do really whatever I wanted to. So I, I never remember my parents saying, um Oh, I don't think you'll be able to do that. Or, oh, that's going to be tough. They, they were always more of, okay, okay, let's, we'll find a way, you know? And so, and I, and I didn't really think about it that way at the time. I had other people tell me, I've had a PE teacher. I can remember, tell me Mr. Claiborne said, Hey, you're not gonna be able to do something like football with diabetes. You ought to you know, do sports like golf or something you'd be able to do. Um, but it's kind of like the same people that said, Oh, you're too small to play. Or, you're, you know, or it's, you know, the, there's a thousand people tell you a thousand things. Um, and so it was uh, my parents always just encouraged us to, to do it and to, and to try it and try, and to try to learn from it. And, and my dad was a, was a coach where he coached for a while and then he worked in our small town appliance store that his father owned. And they went back into coaching later in life when they uh, when they sold it. So I, I think that probably helped, at least as far as athletics, because he knew that world and um, was familiar in that world. He coached me, you know, in like city leagues and stuff like that. Um, and so it was, uh, it was always something that we, we just said, Hey, we're gonna, you know, we're going to try to make it work. And, um, we'll just work on, you know, work towards doing it. And it seemed like it, there was always a way we could, we could make it happen in, in some way, at least. And, and I think that all those experiences helped me really helped me learn from it. and encouraged me for sure.
0: What about from your coaches or from your teammates in college and in the NFL, did anybody, doubt you or make comments to you or encourage you because of diabetes
1: yeah i mean most of uh i would say all of my teammates i ever had i they all either did one didn't know you know as you get a little older like in the professional level you like the lineman would know me better than the. Than the like the wide receivers. I was on defense, so the defensive guys would normally know me better, and then the offensive linemen would know me, and then I hardly ever talk to the receivers. I mean, some of them, but it, you know, they they don't know you as well. So it kind of depends which group you're, you know, you know you're you're talking about. But almost across the board, you know, it just it was kind of like brothers, just helping you. Um, you know, they would. Uh, you know some of them w- were were over the top be like man are you are you okay do i need to get this for you you know they're always they would always try to help or if they felt like something was wrong you know they they would let you know surprisingly um and this was back before you had continuous glucose monitors or really when they were just coming out um many of my teammates could tell i was like getting low before i ever before i could just by the way i was wording things or Just something wouldn't, I wouldn't act in the same or something like that. Uh, Or they would always joke with me. I've always been really open about it. And, um, Sometimes that, that's that's my way of coping with it in some ways is making jokes and kind of poking fun at myself. I just do that normally anyway. And so diabetes was an open game to make fun of as well. And so that was kind of a fun thing, fun way for us to do that. And, uh, you know, I had a Gatorade bottle at practice, which I could, you know, barter for things with people if they wanted a swig of my Gatorade or, you know, things like that. So so that was always enjoyable. I had great coaches um, that supported me a lot. Great trainers at every place that I worked with uh, re- really all, you know, all the way up that, that supported me in that. And so all the coaches were real supportive. Um, and I, I never really thought it was honestly the coach's responsibility to maybe to know a little bit about it, but it was, it was really my responsibility. They, they have a lot on their plate too. And, um, and so it was always encouraging. Now the further up you get in the professional level, it's, it's encouraging, but it's just a lot more about, Hey, i would say it's viewed more like okay you got that this guy's got this somebody's got to get the job done so so who's gonna do it so um you know on a personal level everybody was always real great with it um you know college they were probably a little bit more willing to um uh, to put up with an issue that it might cause it it never really did i think one time i think i had to sit out in college and say hey i gotta i gotta sit out the rest of this time um and, and I just never let it get to that point uh, professionally. So there really wasn't much for him to say. In fact, there's several things I would have done differently, but I had a new coach in St. Louis one year and my position coach for two weeks, the first two weeks of football. And it didn't even know I had diabetes. Um, just the way I, the way I would check my blood and stuff was always in breaks and I had a pretty good regimen of, of keeping it. And we actually were doing a, um, a uh, golf tournament that was, I think it was benefiting the American Diabetes Association or something like that. And one, one of the teammates said, well, Brandon, why aren't you the keynote speaker here? And I was like, I don't know. I, I guess I could have been. Um, but, uh, and, and my coach was confused. And he's like, why do you, why would you say that? And I was like, well, coach, I got diabetes. And he's like, do you really? I was like, yeah, I've had it since I was 10. And, um, and so I was kind of proud that he didn't know because it put me on an even playing field. But I mean, looking back, I'm like, okay, he probably should have at least known. <laughs> Um, but at that level, really, the train, you know, the trainers knew. And so they dealt with all the medical issues. And so um, so those kind of things were different at every level. But in the end, it was um, it was about making a plan, seeing how it worked and then trying to make it better uh, moving forward. And, and towards the end, I had a pretty good way of, of going about it. So
0: well, tell us about your, your NFL career. Where'd you play? What would you play?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I was at uh, I went to Rice University, which is in Houston, Texas, and played played football for them and uh, was there four years and then uh, was drafted in 2003 to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I played there for two years. And then uh, St. Louis, it gets kind of complicated, but they picked up my contract for the next two years. Um, and so I went to the St. Louis Rams for two years and played there and then became a, an unrestricted free agent and then uh, went up to Seattle for my last year. Didn't finish the season with uh, with Seattle, but was up there for for a bit of that last year. Um, and then that was that was my career. So I ended up with five uh, playing five years and three teams and um, had a blast doing it. How did you manage diabetes while on the field? Uh, well it, you know i gave you my junior high story which was not too good um so when i was younger it was a lot of just reactionary type of type of things uh and there were a few things that i learned uh as i went through now, i'll be honest one of the biggest things was when i realized that they made like powdered gatorade or powered th- those sort of things uh because you could make a gatorade really strong and get a lot of sugar in really quickly uh you know back I say back then, I'm getting older, I'm 40, about to be 42. Um, But, you know, back then, there just weren't as many choices. Uh, You know, now there's all a thousand different energy drinks and diet drinks or, you know, whatever you want to, you want to take, but there's weren't that many choices back then. But when I figured out that I could um, really use powder Gatorade to mix a really strong Gatorade that could get a lot of sugar in me quickly, uh, it helped me out because I didn't, you know, on days that I was struggling, keeping my blood sugar up, I didn't have to drink you know, six Gatorades and have a sloshing stomach that I could, you know, feel bouncing around when I was running. Um, it also between probably that was, although it seems so simple was one of the most important things. Um, the other thing I did eventually towards the end of my career, which was probably the biggest, um, the biggest change I made was I really just developed little slots that whatever my blood sugar was in, I would react in that way. Um, And so I think my numbers were 90, uh, talking about blood sugar, 90, 130 and 180. And so, so much of, of what frustrated me about diabetes was I would get frustrated if I ever had to sit out of something, it made it, made me feel like, you know, it was different for me than others. So that was, that was, that would infuriate me if I ever had to sit out of a drill. So I, one, I I hated that one, but I also hated having to mentally think about it, um, and as a lot of people know, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes in the psychology of sports and, and really anything you do. You can't have a clouded mind all the time. And as you know, I sp- spoke earlier about the intensity of sports as it grew. Well, so does the demand on like your your mental capabilities of, you know, like, like in football, for example, you know, you're reading defenses. They're you know, they're going in motion. You're making changes. You're, you're doing this and you've got a lot to remember, a lot to think about. You're communicating to a lot of people. And so I always tell people, my goal was never to be a great diabetic. It was to be a good football player. And so to do that, you got to, you got to be able to devote your, the mental aspect of, you know, to that as well. And so one thing that I found that really worked for me was um, I would develop little slots. So I didn't have to think about what to do if my blood sugar was in there. So if it was 90 or below every chance I got, I would drink Gatorade. And so I always tell people, and I played all sorts of sports. Like in high school, I played football, basketball, baseball, track, and tennis. Um, and so, I, I've had a lot of experience with with different sports. And every sport has a kind of a, a different rhythm to it and a different schedule that it's going to keep. Uh, so, football, for example, you're gonna you're gonna pretty much do the same thing every day. You know, you're gonna go to individual drills. You're gonna go through maybe a, a small group drills, and then you're gonna do some team drills and then you'll probably do like a special teams and you'll do you'll repeat that and that'll be anywhere from 2 to 3 hours and that and so that's kind of the span but within those you know especially now with the emphasis on hydration you're always going to have small times that you can go get a drink of water so at least every 10 minutes you're going to have that and so for me now I didn't have a CGM at the time that would have been great but I would just check my blood sugar on most of those occasions or every other time uh to the You know, by the time I was in my professional career, it was excessively, it was probably 20 to 30 times a day. I would prick my finger and and check my blood sugar, but I was basically becoming my own CGM. So I would know where my blood sugar was at and then more importantly, what direction I was headed. And then I would just make every, uh, every adjustment based on that. So if I was 90 or below, every of those little water breaks, I would just take a drink of my Gatorade uh if i got up above 90 between 90 and 130 i would do uh one water uh one water and then two gatorades and then one water and two gatorades and i mean just kind of every time you have a chance to take a drink and not a lot just a couple swigs and that's how i would hydrate was using that and then if i got over the 130 mark so i think it was 130 to um now 130 to 150 or 180 or whatever number i uh, I picked, then I would do two waters to one Gatorade. And so um, so I was getting a little sugar, but not much just to kind of stabilize it. And then if I ever got over 180, I would just just do water. And so for me, it may sound confusing at the beginning, but it's it just simplified it for me. I didn't have to think about it like, oh, it's 125. Okay, I'm just gonna drink two Gatorades and one water just on a rotation until it changes. And so it just took all the thinking out of it for me. Uh, and and that was, was really helpful. I mean, there were a couple other kind of uh, things that I did going into it. Like I, you know, on game days, I would never give myself any more insulin 45 minutes before a game because I it was sometimes it would be too erratic up and down. And um I had a few times where it kind of bottomed out on me. And that was just tough uh um on game days. But um some things like that were what I did. But that was that was extremely helpful for me. And it was also extremely helpful. I felt I didn't anticipate this going into it, but Um, especially if I would have done that when I was younger and would have communicated that, I think I would have saved myself a lot of headache. Um, And headaches for me were things like, you know, my mom coming out of the stands asking if I was low or not. And I'm like, no, I'm just taking a couple swigs of Gatorade in the basketball game. Like it's, you know, and and those things would really frustrate me. And it's like, well, you know, I, I didn't really communicate. No one really knew. We knew we had Gatorade if I got low, but we didn't really know, what the overall plan was. And so I would always encourage people to the more you can plan. And then it's kind of like in sports, at least in in football, you, you do something, you film it, you watch what you did, you see what was good or bad and you try to correct it. And and I just basically took that same approach uh, to this, but I would, you know, I had a plan and would tell, for example, my trainers, here's what I'm doing. Here's my plan going into it. Here's how I'm going to act. If I, you know, if my blood sugar is in these levels, that's what I'm going to do. And then uh, and so everybody knew and everybody was on the same page. Um, You know, my biggest encouragement to young athletes at the professional level, you wouldn't really need to involve your coaches in that. Your trainers are really taking care of all your medical stuff. But at the um, maybe even college, but more so your high school and junior high level, absolutely pull in your coaches, your parents. Everybody should at least know what this what the plan is so that when my mom sees me drinking Gatorade, she could say, Okay, he's, he's drinking a little bit of Gatorade and a little bit of water. He's probably between 90 and, you know, 130 or whatever it is. Um so I hope I don't know if that made sense, but that's that's how I managed it. Um and if I could go back, I would have communicated that plan much better. And that would that would be that's one of my big encouragements to people is communicate and get as many people around it as you can that that know the plan and it usually helps um it helps everybody's tensions and it, it helps it all uh, go out a lot smoother. And that was one, that was always one of my frustration as I just, um, I, I didn't like, I didn't like to be in the middle of a game where you're thinking about the game. I didn't like to be questioned about my diabetes a lot. That would, that would be one thing that would just kind of make, make me very frustrated.
0: As we wrap up, as, uh, as we wrap up today, um, what piece of advice would you give somebody in high school or college who dreams about going professional in their sports career, what sorts of encouragement or advice would you provide? Some with diabetes, by the way.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 Some with diabetes. Good point. Well, I'll tell you, I wrote, um, I wrote, I wrote like a little blog one time to share with people for things like that. And I had about seven things that I had listed. And actually I looked at that before I came in here. because I normally, I uh, normally sales, but the first one is, To just accept in your mind that as you progress in athletics, when it you know like high school, I mean those are you get to those are important games. I mean you have coaches that their careers and stuff are involved in that. But I don't believe you can be undisciplined and be and be a diabetic athlete. You can be an you can be a diabetic athlete absolutely, but you cannot be an undisciplined one. Um, I think the dangers increase and you're going to find that your performances, it's going to be miserable because your performances won't be as good. So I think just the acceptance of that, like, hey, this is it's like anything in life I do. There's going to be you know, I'm going to have to put in some work. There's going to be a cost to me achieving this. And one of those costs is for me to be disciplined as a diabetic athlete. So I I do believe in that um, pretty strongly and and feel like that helped me and, and honestly helped me in a lot of stages in my life as far as developing discipline um the last one is whether you're using a CGM or not and i always advise people to have a plan for when that CGM gets ripped off or comes out but um you got to know where your blood sugars at and where it's going for for me that was just that was the big one and maybe the direction it's going is probably just as important as where where it's at as i felt like it's, you know it's like the whole sales pitch for the CGM groups but that's it's it's real i mean that that definitely makes um makes a difference Uh, That I mentioned a 45 minutes before a performance. Um, You know, many, many times people group games and practices together. I, I would treat those as separate events because your schedule, everything that affects your blood sugar is going to be different. You know, your workouts beforehand are going to be different. Your food typically is different leading into games. Uh, Your like your, you know, your your excitement, you have all this adrenaline, like there's so many things that will affect your blood sugar differently from practice to games. So I would encourage you to to treat those differently in your, in your planning. Um, And then for me, for, for games, and I would probably say for practice, you could do two, 45 minutes before you go out there, especially on a day, if you're kind of have a roller coaster, like I unfortunately have today where I'm kind of up and down a lot um i just i would just let it ride and if you're going to be a little bit high through the game it's going to be that way but it'll keep you from having that bad crash in the middle of a game and that's that's just hard to deal with physically and um you have to keep it emotionally at times you know it's just it, you're just exhausted and you you, know, you can be sitting on the bench and exhausted um i would play a little bit with with protein this may be getting too specific but um When I figured out that I could utilize protein to help just kind of lengthen my blood sugar out and keep those drastic swings from happening during activity, um, I would that helped me a lot. So, for example, if my blood sugar was probably below 130 before a practice, I would, I would normally, at least then I would have had some sort of complex carbohydrate, maybe, but at least I would have had some sort of cheese or some sort of protein that's just going to help the sugar that I have lengthen out. I I can't tell you the science behind it all, but it did for me. Um, And I felt like it made a, it it really helped stabilize those crashes and give me enough time to catch it before it went down. So really think about that kind of pre-practice pre-game protein regimen and making sure if you need some that you can do it then. I already talked a little bit about the powder Gatorade. I think I'm on number five, the powder Gatorade, um, was a huge deal for me. And this is almost like I keep one in my desk at work. I keep one in my truck right now. I mean, I use it still today. If you, have, if there's a kid going to a camp in the summer you know, and you're like, ah, I'm scared they're going to get low. You could carry in, you know, eight cases of Gatorade, or you could just take a huge thing of powder Gatorade that'll last them, you know, the whole week and they can make Gatorade anytime they want. So, um, yeah, I think that helps in a lot of cases. If you're snow skinned, it doesn't freeze, you know, you can always just eat it if you have to. And so, um, so that one is really nice. And I would, you know, I used to make them really strong just so I didn't have to drink as much. Um, and then I kind of talked about the levels. I, I think the levels idea could probably work for anyone. Um, you know, you could put whatever numbers you want that you feel comfortable with, but where everyone kind of knows, Hey, when we're at this stage, we're going to do this. And when we're at this stage, we're going to do this. And to me that, you know, having to rethink and, um, and try to decide what to do each time you take your blood sugar is, is just kind of a daunting task. And so that, that helped me a lot. And then. Uh, my last one was just uh, sometimes you just got to be tough. Like some days are, some days are good days and man, it's your blood sugar smooth. And it's like, you've, you're just totally normal. And then some days it's just not, and you don't know, you may be fighting off a cold. You don't even know, realize, or it, you know, you might've, um, you know, had some anxiety over something that's making your blood sugar just act funny. And those days are just, just tougher. And so just know that you can, and some days you just gotta be tough. And then other days are easy. But I think it's good for me. It was always good for me to remember that you're know you not the only one that has those days. You know, the person with asthma has they have good days and they have bad days, and especially when you're talking about sports. And so um, so it's not you're, you're not alone in that aspect. You may be alone with diabetes, but you're not the only one that has something that they're having to work through or work towards or plan for sort of thing. So um, hopefully don't don't feel too alone in that. Well, Brendan, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been great
0: and great inspiration for people who dream big about their sports careers. It's
1: yeah, amazing. hey, but there's a there's an all-pro tight end, Mark Andrews, who's a type one diabetic that plays for the Baltimore Ravens right now. We don't get many guys that play, but he's a stud, and uh, and so you can watch him and kind of be amazed at his performances. Um, but that's that's I'll, I'll say that real quick because there there there's guys currently doing it and they're doing it really well.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. That does it for this episode of the Diabetes Psychologist podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor and share it with a friend. Put a link in a text message or an email and send it to them and let them know how much they would enjoy this episode as well. That helps me get the word out about this podcast so more people with type 1 diabetes can benefit. I always love hearing from my listeners, so please feel free to send me an email to mark at thediabetespsychologist.com or DM me on Instagram at thediabetespsychologist. And of course, be sure to tune in next Thursday for a brand new episode of the Diabetes Psychologist podcast. Remember, type 1 diabetes is not easy, but you can have an easier time with it. And I'll see you next week, same time, same place. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening. For more resources, you can visit www.thediabetespsychologist.com. And be sure to sign up for the email list for access to exclusive content. I'm Dr. Mark Heyman, and tune in next time for the latest episode of the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast.